We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, everybody. Ron Geyer, End Time Insights. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. We love it. We thank the Lord for the privilege of coming on the radio and sharing with you what we're learning. And we're learning with you as we're telling you this stuff. And it's exciting because we know where we are. I mean, prophecy stuff and the prophetic timeline of God is so, so wonderful. And, you know, you look and you see like the nations together, the Ezekiel 38-39 war, 37-38 war. You see that and you see the nations aligning that will be coming down to attack Israel. And it's just so exciting. Every jot, every tittle, every word of God is just falling into place just as he said it would. It's just the lawlessness in the land. America has never been lawless. We're lawless now. Lawless isn't disobeying laws. It's writing laws that are contradictory to God's written word. Anyway, all this stuff is happening. I'm glad our eyes are open. I'm honored we get to tell you about it. And today we are going to be talking lesson number 11, Matthew 24, verses 35 through 42. And it's neat because there are some verses in here that I always thought referenced the rapture. But truth be told, Jesus does not talk about the rapture in Matthew 24 at all. So let's see what we got. Don't forget, last week we finished with uh, verse 34. This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Jesus was answering the questions by the disciples, basically about the temple being destroyed. And when will you come back and what will be the sign of your coming? And so from verses 4 through 25, he answered all those questions and he told them. And now we're moving on in verse 35. Jesus says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Remember verse 34, this generation that sees all these things, the wars, the rumors of wars, the famine, the earthquakes, all this stuff, the lawlessness, that generation will be here through the end. That's the last generation. They will witness all these things. And after that, Jesus talks about that my word will not pass away. I'm sorry, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words will not pass away. Basically, you can take what I have told you to the bank. It will come to pass. It will come true. Jesus has just described for the disciples the earthly scenario that awaits his return. In addition to the decadent behavior of mankind, there will be cataclysmic environmental changes as well. No sunshine, stars falling, no moonlight. It will be most likely very cold on the earth. Yet now he makes one more astonishing statement. This gets their attention. Both heaven and earth will pass away. They'll be destroyed. They will disappear. Isaiah 65, 17. uh, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor will it come into mind. 
heaven and earth. To man, these are the greatest examples, right, of the permanency of our existence, right? They seem indestructible. You know, the sky, uh, the planets, the solar system, all that, they seem indestructible. Even if undefinable in our mind's eye, we can't really grasp it, okay? And we think that they are infinite, but they're not. They're finite. They represent the stability of life to us now, right? But here, Jesus shows how his word easily trumps that stability that man associates with heaven and earth. There's nothing more permanent than the word of God. Basically, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus has the ability to do as he pleases with both heaven and earth and man. He created them all and he can destroy them all. He made them once and as he promises to do, he will make them again. What a glorious time that's going to be. I'm so excited. You know, I started this study on Matthew 24 because I was wanting to study the millennial reign of Christ which comes right after his return. And so God ministered to me that I should talk about his return, talk about the tribulation and what that looks like that's awaiting the return of Christ before we actually move into the millennial reign. So that's fine. That's what we're doing. But I'm telling you, I'm getting more and more excited every time I see this stuff. We're going to get a new heaven. We're going to get a new earth. Hallelujah. Isaiah 65, 17, again, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. You're not going to remember the old earth. You're not going to remember that. Well, if you're not going to remember the old earth, if it's never going to come to your mind, think about other stuff that you're not going to remember, right? At the top of my list, I'm not going to remember my sin. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, I I hate sin. I hate it when I sin. No, I know, contrary to popular belief, I am not perfect yet. I still have trouble. And yet, God, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I will never have to go through any guilty feelings again. I will never be tempted. You're not going to remember your sin. Thank you so much. You're not going to remember any failed relationships. Ooh, that's big, too. Amen. You're not going to remember, you know, a lot of people live with their disappointments, whether it's disappointing God, disappointing a spouse, letting themselves down. All those are wiped away. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 36, but of that day, what day? The day that he returns, that day when heaven and earth shall pass away, well, that day will not happen first. No man knows it. But of that day and hour, no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. No man knows that day. We cannot know the day or the hour, right? It says that right there. But of that day and that hour, no man knoweth. So I like what it does say, but I like better what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you won't know the season. It doesn't say you won't know the year. It just says that day nor that hour, the specificity of the return, the when of the return, you'll have an idea because the season and all of these signs will be ministering to you that it's about to happen. He actually tells you, in a sense, that he tells you what generation it's going to be, the generation that sees this, the generation that sees the rebirth of Israel, the generation that sees the apostasy, the generation that is alive during the tribulation, uh, it, you know, the generation that perhaps has witnessed the rapture, although I don't think they see it. But either way, that generation will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Now, we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we know what's going on, and therefore we we relate that to what's been written, and we know that this is the last generation. We have an idea that this is that time. 
Now learn a parable of the fig tree. Remember when his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise, or in the same manner, or also when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. That was verse 32, 33. What is near? His return is near. But notice it's all of these things. You know, generations have always had earthquakes. There's like a thousand a year. Uh, but they get more severe now. The stronger ones are getting more common. And yet uh, the lawlessness that he's spoken about, when you see that, lawlessness has been in the earth forever. It has never been in America like it is now. And so all of these things, all of them, not one or two of them, all of them, they witness to the nearness of the return of Christ. Verse 37, well, no, no, let me back up and go that. So likewise, you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. So basically, Jesus is, I know it takes him, what, a tenth of an atomic second to get here from heaven. But if I may use an example, it's like Jesus has been traveling to earth. And then it says here, know that his return is near. It's even at the doors. His travel is over, right? He's gotten out of his heavenly car, walked up to the sidewalk. He's standing at your front door now, even at the doors. That's the example I want to make for you so that you can understand the nearness of the manifestation of his return, the nearness of the removal of the church uh, from the wrath of God, we've not appointed unto wrath. We're going to be gone. He's at the door. It's so exciting. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So here we are now. We have just been told by Jesus that this scenario, the behaviors of mankind, the uh, environment in the of the earth, the cultures of mankind, uh, this is going to be similar to what it was like in Noah's day. As the final events move closer and closer, and it seems the world starts to fall apart, as sin rampages through the world, and mankind comes face to face with his sin and his human frailty. I can just picture a mad scramble for Bibles, right? The church is gone. Persecution is at levels never seen before. Destruction in the earth is at levels never happened or even imagined before. And they're going to see signs and they're going to remember. And they're going to want a Bible. Well, what did the Bible say? This is like Noah was. What did the Bible say about that time? You know, hopefully there's still people being saved during this time. And they've got Bibles. I'm sure at this point the Bibles have either been confiscated or they've been destroyed. I'm sure there are some, what's the word, bootleg copies that Christians are holding out with. And all this is going on. And the Bible is going to be like gold. What's happening next? What did the Bible say about this? Are we in the days of Noah like that? Is that what it's talking about? And they're going to want to know, what did Jesus say about the days of Noah? So if you continue on, uh, Jesus said, but the days of Noah, there's going to be similar, right? He goes, first, Jesus says there will be similarities. And actually, the Amplified Version says that there'll be more than just similarities, Amplified, for the coming of the Son of Man, the Messiah, will be just like the days of Noah. That's more than similar. They'll be just like the days of Noah. The easy-to-read version, when the Son of Man comes, it will be the same as what happened during Noah's time. We're going to revisit the days of Noah. So to me, as a, as a Bible reader, as a teacher, I want to know, okay, well, if it's going to be the same as what happened during Noah's time, if it's going to be just like the days of Noah, well, I'm going to find out as much as I can about the days of Noah. Let's look and see if we can discern what Jesus is referencing here. First, again, what's going to be the same? We know that the coming of Jesus 
cannot be in the same manner as the days of Noah because he didn't come then, right? So we, we remove that, okay? So it must be referring to the events and the behaviors that were going on in the earth that must be the same. The verse implies that mankind's behavior at the return of Jesus will be just like mankind's behavior in the days of Noah. So let's go to Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7, and see what uh, Moses had to say about the days of Noah. Verse 5, Genesis 6, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Well, duh, here we are, right? Man is wicked. Man in America is wicked. Unfortunately, the apostasy, man in church is wicked also. You must be very careful. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, there's no restraint anymore. Second Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 4, 1 through 5 talks about the fact that man would be lovers of selves, right? There's no restraint. They're in continent in their moral fascinations, uh, in their fantasies. Uh, murders are everywhere. They would be lovers of um, self more than lovers of God. They would have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They're playing religion. The so-called uh, religion is taking the place of true Christianity. We see that everywhere today. Look at what's popular of the false religions of the ages of mankind. Uh, the true Bible church is being counterfeited. Uh, great, famous, huge megachurch ministries are dominating the airwaves, and yet there's false in them. Their preachers are false. Their doctrines are false. The The love of money has entered into the church, and it's destroying people. False doctrines, false prophets are on the rise, and they're giving a bad name to Christianity. And this is just like Jesus said. Uh, every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. This is end time mankind's behavior, and it also describes the behavior whew, right before of mankind when Jesus sent the flood. I mean, whew, that that's a message enough right there. And it repented the Lord, or it grieved the Lord, or he was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. The prior verses specifically mention man's sexual depravity over in Genesis uh, 6. Uh, it talks about the source of God's ire was because of this sexual depravity. And I'm sure there was other sin. That was just one sin, but that's the one that's pointed out. It's believed there was a lot of demonic spiritual activity going on at that time as well. Also, man's inhumanity to man in the form of murders and violence, that was covering the earth as well. Verses 12 through 13, Genesis 6, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And remember, you don't fix corruption. You don't come back from corruption. That's why I know America will not return. Our government is corrupt. The people are corrupt. Churches are corrupt. Uh, I mean, if you look at it, it's corrupt. And once again, that's why God has to do it over. God doesn't uh, repair the earth. He gives us a new earth because we fouled our nest. We, we get a new one. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So I don't know if that means that God is going to use the earth to destroy them. Remember how it's written? 
I will destroy them with the earth. Is the tool of, of destruction going to be the earth? Or does God mean I'm not only going to destroy man, but I'm also going to destroy the earth? Don't forget, during Noah's time, God did not destroy the earth, right? He flooded it, but he did not destroy it. Well, there comes a point. He said that, uh, was it? He said, I'm not going to destroy the earth, the rainbow in the sky. I'm not going to flood the earth anymore. That's right. That's what he said. It was a promise that God put in the sky, and it really wasn't to man. He put that bow in the sky to remind him himself that I'm no longer going to uh, think about destroying the earth with a flood. Truth is, he's going to burn it next time, guys. Uh, it's not good news. <laughs> We're in trouble. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through man, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So I think he's using the earth to destroy them because he doesn't destroy the earth. The earth is the tool of man's destruction. And, of course, we see that that was true because they didn't die from meteors. They didn't die from an instant judgment of God that wiped them all out. They died from the earth being filled with water. That is what wiped them out. God used the earth to destroy mankind. I will destroy them with the earth. Here God either promises to destroy both flesh and earth, or else he is saying he will use the earth to destroy mankind. The bottom line, either way, mankind was finished, except for Noah and his family, who found grace in the sight of God. Continuing back to Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 38, For as in the days that were before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. This verse describes a rather carefree uh, lifestyle, uh, an enjoying, uh, mellow kind of attitude that marked man's existence. He's really not concerned with God. He's not concerned with his behavior. He's living for himself. He's doing what he wants before the flood. So I was looking and doing some research, and there's a website. It's called Got Questions. You ask a question, and it gives you an answer. I'm not saying they're always right, but I use it as I do other references to uh, commentaries to, to learn something. And if they write something that's good, I share it. So uh, Got Questions uh, has this uh, couple of paragraphs about the lifestyle that was going on prior to the flood. The biblical account of Noah begins in Genesis 6. Approximately 1,600 years had passed since Adam and Eve were created. As the earth's population exploded in number, it also exploded with evil. Long forgotten was the righteous sacrifice of Abel, as the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verses 6, 11, and 12 say, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. However, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Continuing, when Jesus described the events that will surround the second coming, he said, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the return of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying they were being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus was pointing out that although the people of Noah's day were totally depraved, they were not the least bit concerned about that depravity. They were carrying on the events of their lives without a single care or thought about the judgment of God. Noah is described here as a preacher of righteousness. That means he was telling them about their sin, guys, meaning he had spent years, 100 years actually, warning his friends and neighbors what the holy God was about to do. No one listened. How do I know that? Because he only had his family with him. Eight people were saved. The depravity and ungodly lifestyles of the entire world at that time 
they were enough to cause the Lord to regret that he had made man. What a sorry state of affairs, guys. I, I hope we don't get back to that. I mean, you know, there's, there's grace. There's the age of grace. And Jesus has already paid the penalty for a sin. I thank you that he created the church. And we've got millions and millions of untold believers throughout the world that are living for the glory of God, living lifestyles of holiness and obedience. So we know that we all don't get destroyed. But please, please, please understand those that have rejected Christ will suffer the same eternal punishment, damnation from the presence of God for eternity. You, Jesus said it, you must be born again. Not you ought to, not you should. Maybe you ought to think about, no, he said you must be born again. So God allowed Noah nearly 100 years to complete the building of the ark. He gave Noah 100 years to try to save the people that were lost. And they watched him. They thought he was crazy. And he built the ark. And yet I know he was preaching. He was a preacher of righteousness. They did not believe Noah. Back to the that question. Uh, they did not believe Noah and were content with their wickedness and their idolatry. Their hearts were hard. Their ears were dull. No one repented. No one. No one cared to seek for God. Jesus said that the world will be much like that world. Wow, guys. I mean, we're here. Look at it. What is it? There's an earthquake, the judgment of God. I think that over 41,000 people have died. And it's no coincidence it's over in Syria and um, Turkey, a very volatile, demonic part of the world, uh, intent on the destruction of Israel. And God's sending judgments trying to get our attention because he doesn't want any to perish. And yet we have got to turn around. We've got to repent. We've got to understand you cannot live a life where you're killing millions of babies every year. You cannot live a life where you're destroying one another, where you have committed every sexually depraved sin that there is to commit, probably even inventing new ones. I mean, we are just so far gone. His return, just look around. You don't even need to be a Christian to know that his return is near. Where am I? He warned us to be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. If you don't think he's coming back, guys, well, then guess what? He's coming. That's one of the telltale signs when people think he's not coming back. He's coming. Many in the church, most in the church, a great majority in the church don't think he's coming. What a sorry picture, man. Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 4, gives us a clear picture of the state of the world before Jesus comes and most likely also describes the world as it was in Noah's day. That verse says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Yes, selfies, anyone? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. They'll be slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous. They'll be rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It is becoming increasingly obvious that to understand what the world was like in the days of Noah, we only need to watch the evening news. I've got more bad news. That what he just described, those 19 characteristics of end-time pagan mankind, he's talking about the church, right? Because there'll be lovers of, um, what was it, lovers of self more than lovers of God. Well, they love God, but they love themselves more. Ouch. Romans fourteen eleven through 12. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us is going to have to give an account of themselves before the Lord. It's a time that is closer than you think. I'll pick up with verses 40 and 41 when we come back 
people associated those scriptures with being rapture scriptures. They are not rapture scriptures, I'll show you. It's quite simple. It's quite obvious. Just read the Bible, study the Bible, and recognize that God says what he wants to get across. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the church. He's talking to Israel about their coming captivity. And they don't understand that the coming, what Jesus is talking about, is 2,000 years away. If they're thinking all this stuff is happening now and they're freaking out, we'll pick up on that. We'll explain it. Let me pray for you guys. I think you guys are great. I thank you for listening to Christian Radio, whether it's my show or somebody else's. I thank you. The common bond that we have as children of God is that we love the truth. We seek the truth. Jesus said, my words are truth. My words are life. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you keep them, that you guard them, that you watch over them, Father God. I pray that they take these warnings to heart, Father God. I pray, Father God, that you give them security in their salvation, Father God, that they watch. Jesus says, watch. You must be ready. Watch until the end. You don't want to be taken by surprise. Your souls are at risk. I pray, Father God, that you keep their souls, Father God. Protect them from deception in America today. In Jesus' name, I thank you for their lives. Bless them. Keep them. Reveal yourself to them in a greater way than ever before, Father. We love you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.